0: right down
1: that rabbit hole so reality is questionable try but you just can't let it go these two right here put on the show it's paranormal overload with southern hospitality hard that murder may have while discussing immortality locations with a dark past history that comes to life hillbillies with a knack for happy thing that goes bump at night Overthinking thinking if you're by yourself these two will have you turn on the lights mixing in a little
0: comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now here's your hosts, Jerry and Tracy Hall, oh, and their dogs, Ninja.
1: And sometimes they're cat
2: Freddy. but never the ferrets.
1: Hey there, it's Tim Dennis from Darkness Radio, and you are listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories with Jerry
2: and Tracy. Hey guys, welcome to episode 338 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy, we've got a fun one tonight. Good. Before we get into it, obviously, I want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank you for everything you guys, gals, and service animals do for us.
0: You guys are amazing at keeping us safe, and we pray for you guys all the time. We love you all so much. Thank you for being our angels on this earth.
2: Absolutely. And we hear from a lot of you guys talking about how we help your work days out. And you know, we've talked to a couple of ambulance drivers and uh paramedics that, you know, say they'd listen to us when they're on duty as much as they can and That's so just,
0: awesome. I mean, is. that means the world to us. Y'all just don't even know. Why anybody want to hear my twang all day is beyond me, but we do appreciate that you guys do, do, do that for us. So we love y'all.
2: Also, we want to mention that, you know, there's a lot of people that are struggling right now. I want to give everybody a little um, homework assignment. Every one of us knows somebody who's struggling with their mental health, one way, shape, or form. I would say when you hear this, make it a point in the next 24 hours to call somebody that you know is struggling just to reach out and say hi. Just to make sure they're okay. Just to make sure that that they hear and I love you or I'm thinking about you because you have no idea what a difference that makes in somebody's life. And if all of you out there listening calls one person, and if you want to call two or three people, that's even better. But if everybody out there called one person, there would be literally thousands of people this week being called and being checked up on.
0: Isn't that great? That's a great idea.
2: So And that's-
0: say to yourself in your mind, you know, what do I love about myself today? You know you need to tell yourself something every single day. Be proud of who you are and the special, you know, person that you are and why people love to be around you and all that good stuff because it really does make a difference.
2: It does. I think that's the biggest problem that most of us have is we don't see the greatness in ourself. We convince ourselves that we're bad people or horrible people or we're not pretty enough or we're not smart enough or we just don't have enough know-how or whatever you tell yourself. It's all lies.
0: Of course it is. It's
2: all lies. Of course it is. And, you know, that's the biggest problem that I see. I I was talking to a young lady today, and she knows exactly who she is. And she just needs to realize how great of a person she is. And I don't think she realizes that. And I think a lot of people are in that same situation. And and you have a hard time convincing yourself that you're um, anything more than what you've already conned yourself into believing. And, you know, I think it's just important for people to realize, don't believe the lies that your mind tricks yourself into believing. Uh, But everybody needs help doing that. So if you know people that that you know have struggled like that, call them, send them an email, send them a text, and just let them know you're thinking about them. And trust me, that could save a life in itself.
0: It could. You mean, every day I go thinking in my head, dang, I'm just 4'11". (laughs) And then I'm like, you know what? Nuh-uh, I'm five foot because I tease my hair to heaven. So that pumps me up. It makes me feel better. It's just little things, right?
2: It is the little things. But uh, if you need that kind of help, if you need somebody to tell you that you deserve to be here, message us. We will gladly tell you that as many times as you need to hear it. Contact the group. I think some, some people recently have found out that that group is uh, super supportive and that's what they need and uh, we're glad to give you that.
0: True story.
2: Tracy, what else could they do if they need some help?
0: Well, if you would like to go another route, you can call 988 and then you can also still text them at seven four one seven four one. But there's people all over this world that you know or don't know that is willing to reach out and lend an ear or what else, you know, they could do whatever you need them to do. Just never forget that. You're not alone.
2: Absolutely. All right, I need to do this before I forget because I tend to always forget if I don't do it right at the beginning. But we got a special guest tonight, Miss Laney Hobbs. Now you know Laney from True Crime Cases with Laney, mm-hmm. which that's a new that's a new name, but for the longest time for years, it was True Crime Fan Club and that that show has been a hit forever. Uh Laney's been involved with a couple of different things, and we'll we'll talk about that. But one of the newer things that she's involved with is her it's haunted what now podcast
0: oh, there you go
2: and uh i've we've Laney and I have talked for probably four or five years Mm -hmm. and we've talked about getting her on the show and it's one thing what happened or whatever the case will be busy schedules but i reached out to her because i really like her new podcast it's haunted what now and uh so i reached out to her and we actually put this together in like two days
0: well good got
2: it working sometimes it's
0: just the timing
2: and she's you're really gonna like this she gets to talk about some of the true crime cases and um you know how how the true crime Genre has changed over the years Oh yeah, for the, definitely. for the better and all that. So I think you guys will like that. But for the first part, Tracy, tonight I wanted to talk about some harbingers of death.
0: What did you say?
2: Harbingers.
0: Oh, what is that?
2: Well, it's not the freight place. Harbinger freight. That's not <laughs> it. I didn't think
0: it That's was harbor that. That's harbor
2: freight. <laughs> well, what exactly do I mean by that? That's good. Well, it's a sign that death's coming or has just happened.
0: Oh, I don't like that.
2: Some have said that the Mothman was exactly that because it showed up shortly before the Silver Bridge collapse. Mm -hmm. Similarly, a winged creature known now as the Blackbird of Chernobyl showed up shortly before the nuclear disaster, obviously over in Chernobyl. Yeah, wow. We're not going to be looking at those cases because... There are a bunch of different types, mm-hmm. and I decided to to land on one of them. We've done deep dives on both of those before. I we think have. we did. I think we did the Chernobyl Blackbird, the same episode we did Mothman on, I believe. Um, but
0: it's like two birds, one stone. Get
2: it? <laughs> I, I do get it. <laughs> <laughs> Some harbingers of death could be a vision of a person who's going to die, or that has just recently passed away. A good example of that would be Abraham Lincoln. He saw his reflection in the mirror, but the reflection was not as he looked now. It was as if he was dead, like decayed, different color. And his death actually came shortly after that. In his case, it was said that a a doppelganger had showed up, which has always been thought to be a harbinger of death in many cultures. If you see your doppelganger, you're probably going to die.
0: No kidding. Yes. I didn't know that.
2: But what if you have a visit from someone in spirit form and that person you later find out has passed away? Now, I don't necessarily mean two weeks later, three weeks later. I'm talking about they appear to you at their time of death.
0: That seems to happen a lot.
2: It does. And that's a completely different story. Than, you know, what we talked about with the, you know, the Blackbird or mm-hmm. um, Abraham Lincoln saying his. So we're going to focus on those types of stories tonight. Those types of harbingers of death.
0: So who did Abraham tell that to? Did he tell that story? Everybody. He did tell everybody? Yeah,
2: his wife. It was a really well-known thing. I think that, I, I can't remember the timeline on it. We actually covered that when we did our, um, Emily Sagui from, uh, from France. But I think it was like two or three weeks afterwards was when he was assassinated, but he was worried about it.
0: He was. Yeah,
2: he was extremely worried about it. He was freaked out.
0: I imagine and so. And I think it
2: happened twice.
0: Oh, he had the dream twice. I think he had it
2: twice, yeah. Oh man. Well, once it wasn't a dream. The the first time he literally said he well, looked yeah. in a mirror mm-hmm. and that was there. He saw himself, but it was a completely different oh, version
0: of himself. Gosh, how scary is that? Ooh. All right.
2: First story we're going to talk about. This happened to a woman by the name of Maureen Hayter, H-A-Y-T-E-R. This was in November of 1942. Now, she was living in uh, Minnesota with her three children at the time. Now, her husband was away in the Navy. He was only 41 years old, but he was a lieutenant commander by the name of Hubert Montgomery Hayter. He was far away in the Pacific Ocean on the USS New Orleans. One night, Maureen was jarred awake. She said it was so violent that she went downstairs to investigate and make sure that everything was okay. Everything seemed to be fine, so she went back to bed. Suddenly, her husband was beside her in the bed. She said the two of them were bathed in a heavy mist but his arm was around her and she actually felt protected. They hadn't seen each other in months and now she had this awesome sense of protection and the two of them began reunited. She said that she looked into his face and there was a look of longing and sadness. She touched his cheek and it was freezing cold. She fell asleep in his arms. The next morning, she wrote it off as a very comforting dream. I mean, she hadn't heard from him in days, so she didn't know why it was suddenly popping fresh into her mind at that time. Well, days passed, and she thought about his expression and the coldness in his face. Mm -hmm. She then felt a certain level of sadness that she had never felt before. When she received the telegram informing her that her husband had been killed in action, Maureen felt that she had been forewarned and given the courage that she needed to deal with this tragedy. The death had actually occurred on November 30th during the Battle of Tasferonga. He perished after courageously saving all of his men. Maureen felt that this was his final farewell.
0: Well, that's, uh, I guess you would say that's comforting, I guess?
2: Oh, I mean, that's the way she took
0: it. yeah. That's really sad, though, but he was a hero.
2: Apparently, Lieutenant Commander Hayden directed a damage control mission until he was overcome by poisonous fumes while sitting at his desk. She is convinced that he took his very last breaths as he was sitting there thinking about his family, and that's why he appeared.
0: I mean, that's a a terrible way to go, but... I think of all the ways that I have to go, I'd probably want to go that way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Wow. I'm now, glad he reached out to her.
2: This kind of harbinger of death actually has a name. It's called death visitant. Okay. That's, uh, you know, many examples of these that we visited at the time of death. we talked about in the past. And these have been recorded since the earliest of times. Wow,
0: So interesting.
2: So we're going to talk about some more. Charles Matthews was a mechanic on board the submarine L-24 that was sunk during some practice maneuvers in 1924. Charles was part of the English military and the sub sank off the south coast of England. Charlie, as he was known by his friends, had a strong premonition that his trip on this sub would be doomed. He even told his wife. He told her, that he would not return from this mission. He even said that he knew how it was going to happen. The sub would come up, take its distance, go down, and when it came up, it would be struck by something. He believed this so much that he couldn't even sleep the night before his mission. He even wandered around in the rain. When he left the house at 7 a.m., he was visibly ill.
0: Well, I'm surprised that she even let him leave the house. I mean, if you have this premonition... He's in the military,
2: babe. What are you going to do? Well, I mean,
0: I know that. I I get it, but I, I can't imagine how scared he was.
2: Yeah, you don't get to call in sick to the military.
0: Well, I know you don't.
2: A few days later, Mrs. Matthews hears her husband calling her name in their home. At the same time, Mrs. Dix, who also lived in the house, heard Charlie's voice say, look after her.
0: Oh.
2: it was at the, that exact time that the submarine met disaster. It happened almost exactly as Charlie said that it would. In this case, a spirit was not seen but heard by two different people.
0: I mean, how could you can't even explain that to like the person in the military even no I, I mean, would I wonder if she even did said you know he said he was going to totally said he had this premonition and i mean would you even do that what would they would do just chalk
2: it up to coincidence
0: that's no that's pretty 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 spot on i mean
2: i don't know i'm sure they would say well there's been several people that thought something was going to happen when it didn't happen so mm-hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard about this tracy but napoleon actually had a couple of uh strange instances involving his death a few days before he died he told a member of his entourage a man named monthalon what a name monthalon
0: mm-hmm. i'm probably
2: it's probably montholin anyways whatever this guy's name was, it starts with him he said i've just seen my dear josephine but she would not embrace me she tore herself away when i tried to take her in my arms of course josephine was his wife Then at that moment, Napoleon died. His apparition then appeared to his mother at her house in Rome. It seemed so real that his mother thought that he had been able to actually come home.
0: Wow, that real, huh?
2: But his message to her said otherwise. His spirit told her that he was at this moment being delivered from his suffering three other people at the house saw him and heard this get out of here so right before he dies he tells that guy he had just seen josephine and she refused his embrace and then he dies right after that and appears at his mother's house
0: that's that's amazing I don't even know how you would, I don't know how you would react to that. Like your mother's just sitting there and then all of a sudden you get this horrible news.
2: Well, and my guess is that when he says he appeared or he just saw Josephine, Mm -hmm. that he literally, maybe his spirit had ventured out.
0: I was going to say, I wonder how he looked to her that she wouldn't let him embrace her. I
2: don't know. Well, this was a few, technically I said that at the same time, but he said that was a few days before he died is when he said that, but I still wonder if Mm -hmm. it was his body Mm -hmm. that had ventured out or his spirit had ventured out. And that's why she was like, um, no, you're a ghost, dude. That's freaky.
0: Oh yeah.
2: I don't know. All right, let's do another story. This one happened to W.H. Curtis of Southampton, England. We're going to go back to 1914. He was serving his regiment in India. Notice there's a lot of military stories in there. Definitely, yeah. His regiment was actually sent to Palestine to drive an Ottoman soldier up to the hills of Judea. Now, one morning, they got surprised by some Turkish troops. During the battle, W.H. Curtis was actually wounded, but he managed to get some first aid. He was then transported by mule cart to the First Casualty Clearing Station, which was a small place situated in an orchard. He said that this was actually a very clean and very pretty place in the early morning sun.
0: Oh, I bet it was. Which I imagine
2: if you're injured and you're looking for help yeah. and you got help, it could have been in the middle of a desert. You would have been you happy.
0: You would have been happy, exactly. Right. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. most desert I've ever seen. <laughs> Look at those cacti.
2: Anyway, they carried W.H. in there and... They paused a bit outside of the medical officer's tent because they had to wait, I guess, in order to get him, in, get him inside the tent. A young officer by the name of Scott came up to him. Now, he knows, knew Scott from his regiment, but he didn't know him very well. Uh-huh. He didn't even know his last name. Right. he just, he just was, recognized He just himself. knew it was Scott. Uh-huh. He, knew, he knew the name, but he just didn't know the last name. He looked at Scott and he said, hello, Scott, are you here? Like, you know, because there was a lot of people injured uh-huh. back there, he was and to this point that was the only one is he was the only one in the regiment that he knew to be there. Yes. He said Scott didn't say a word, he just smiled. And then WH noticed how pale he looked, and in fact, the freckles on his face seemed even darker than normal in contrast. WH also noticed a large patch of dried blood on part of his head and neck. So he remembers thinking that it's kind of odd to see somebody walking around with those kinds of injuries and mm-hmm. not having some type of bandage on their head yeah. or something. At that time, he, he saw the medic walking towards him. Towards uh, Scott? Well, towards both of them. They were standing oh, okay. together. Uh-huh. He said he looked at Scott and said, Well, come along and see me when I'm finished with this. W.H. then said that the medic walked up to Scott, and they seemed to kind of jostle a little bit. And then Scott walked away. Well, next, W.H. was actually in the tent, looking through the flies. <laughs> Apparently, there's a lot of flies it's in Palestine. So he said, uh, "That's when he saw a pair of legs coming along." The guy bends down, looks at him, and it was a corporal from his regiment. Mm-hmm. The corporal asked him if any of the other members of the regiment was coming was coming along, and W.H. said, "Well, no. Well, only Scott." He's here somewhere. And the corporal said, that's odd. I thought that I was the only one here until you showed up.
0: Ah.
2: Well, eventually, W.H. was shipped to the hospital. On the way to the hospital, he ran into some men. And when he mentioned that he had seen Scott, one of the men became irate. Neither were in any kind of condition to fight. So they went on their separate ways, right? Mm Mm-hmm. W.H. was confused, and he just decided to just say nothing more about it. Then, about two years later, WH was back in Blighty. He was talking to a member of his old regiment. They were talking about the different battles that they had been in, and WH asked him if he remembered Scott. He said, Yeah, I do. Corporal Brown and I helped to bury him and his comrades oh,
0: just behind he. the
2: ridge where they fell. Aww. WH was stunned. He shockingly replied, he died? He then asked if he remembered where Scott was wounded. And the answer was, yes, he he died. And Scott had been hit in the back of the head and the neck. Mm. He died instantly. Now there's an odd twist to this story. Sometime later, WH was actually talking to his mother and he learned that WH's father had met Scott's father years before. That's when a light bulb actually went off in his head. Back when WH was a kid, his dad was actually looking for an inn or a public house, you know, a hotel basically, to buy. So they made their way to the small village to look at a small inn inside the building or the, the uh, village. WH remembered that while the adults actually talked business, he hung out with the innkeeper's young son, and that son was Scott.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh.
2: So he thinks that maybe because they had that connection over little, even though he didn't remember it, even though when he knew Scott from the military, he didn't realize that was that's him. That's
0: who it was? He didn't him. had no
2: clue oh. that that was the little boy. But maybe because that was their connection, maybe that's why he showed up to him.
0: That's very interesting.
2: So that's our story on wow. harbingers of death.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know about that. I don't, what do you think about it? Like, would you rather not know or would you rather be warned? I
2: mean, I would rather have that last little meeting. I mean, what's the difference? They're dead either way. I'd at least like to know that I got something out of it. As far as well,
0: I guess if you look at it like that, yeah, that's true. I mean,
2: when you think about it, with the thing, the uh, surround sound going off the mm-hmm. night Kevin passed away, yeah. and the same thing when Big Dave passed away, that's sort of similar. Yeah, I guess
0: it, it really is. It happened at the is. same time. It mm-hmm. just
2: would not a vision like that, but there was some kind of notice.
0: It was, yes. Whew. Gives me chills.
2: Well, we're going to take a quick sponsor break and we'll be back to talk uh, about a few developments and uh, we'll listen to Laney Hobbs.
0: Lainey.
2: All right, guys. I am struggling like hell with this New Orleans show. I'm still trying to make it happen, but I'm literally on the verge of trying to give up. I've had so many people reach out to try to help and nothing's coming out of it yet. Uh, so that's what we got. On the positive side of things, we have approximately seven hundred and fifty-two other shows that we're doing this year.
0: <laughs> well, hell, and nothing else in, in New Orleans. We all just meet up and hang out yeah, or something. Yeah, we'll just go
2: hang out in New Orleans. Maybe there won't be a show. We we'll just you find go. a reason to go hang out, and I'm not against that either. not oh, me either. Maybe we just hey, that's you know you may may have actually just came up with something. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I'll talk to the guys. We'll me, see what we can come. I up I did.
0: With. Yes. Well, Lord have mercy.
2: Yeah, I mean it doesn't have to be. A show for us all to hook up and yeah, have a man. good weekend. Heck yeah. Anyways, the other shows. I am super impressed with how many tickets we're selling to all these shows.
0: Yes, you guys are amazing.
2: I mean, the show at the end of the year, the last show we're doing at the end of September, unless we go to New Orleans, September 30th, which by the way is Tracy and I's anniversary. We're mm-hmm. going to be doing this show on our, on our wedding anniversary.
0: That's how we roll, baby.
2: But that show in Pigeon Forge with Tony and the Confessionals, We've sold 18 of the tickets already.
0: Isn't that great? For a
2: show that's ten months or nine months away.
0: I love it. I love it.
2: But, I mean, we've got other shows. The, the Louisville show, the Buffalo show, 11 tickets to the Buffalo show. We've sold, um, what, nine or 10 tickets mm-hmm. to the Louisville show. I mean, these shows are, even the soonest ones are three months away.
0: Yeah. You guys are so awesome. So, yeah. We always know we can count on you guys. And we look forward to seeing all of you. Because it's so weird because... You know, even when we're not doing a show, it just feels empty almost. Like, wait, we don't, that's we don't why have I keeps, any, huh? That's why I
2: keep scheduling shows when I say we're not going to do that many. I keep scheduling them because they're so much damn fun.
0: I know. And we get to meet all these wonderful people or see people, you know, that's been coming to the show. It's just, it's wonderful.
2: Uh, with that being said, if you plan on coming to the show in the Haunted Jail in Lebanon, Indiana, at the, at the distillery, you need to get your tickets because there's only 40 tickets available, and we've already sold like 11 or 12 of them. Mm-hmm. And that is in May. But if you, you know, like I said, if you don't get your tickets, there you're going to be out of out of luck on that one because there are that's the smallest show that we've ever done as yeah. far as seating.
0: All right.
2: And Post Town Elementary School is selling tickets too, and there's only 60 seats available for mm-hmm. that. So, well, I like doing these events in haunted locations.
0: Oh yeah, that's way. So that's cool. really cool. Uh huh.
2: Used to be we do Bobby Mackey's, and that was the only one. And now we've got two or three of them this year. Oh,
0: definitely.
2: Really cool. All right. With that being said, cruise update. I've got about four or five dates in July that I'm getting pricing on. That I will probably have. Hopefully, I'll have some pricing by next week. Uh, I can't. I don't know that I'll have an answer by the end of next week because then I got to meet with the guys with uh Ohio and stuff and make sure we hammer out a date make sure the pricing's good and uh but we got some options so it's going to be fun either way Mm -hmm. that's all i can say really right now but we've got possibilities of leaving out of galveston leaving out of orlando leaving out of tampa so i mean there's a bunch of different options and we're trying to do galveston but if it if our best option is somewhere else because of pricing that's the route we'll go so we're leaving everything open to what's just going to be the best for you guys of course so all right, Tracy, what you got going on over there?
0: All right, this week for iTunes we have Mama, Mojo Lobster, Kay Cummins, and Doom Buggy 93. You guys came through for some reviews and we appreciate y'all so much. We love to see them and thank you for taking your time out to do that for us. And our Patreon is Miss Melva Pierce. Thank you, doll. I have known one Melva. In my life. And she was our neighbor for like a thousand years, it seemed like. So it was kind of cool to see that name because she's the only one I ever knew. So, but thank you for your patronage, honey. We appreciate you so much.
2: I have never known a Melva. Mm Mm-hmm. But on Seinfeld that time when Jerry couldn't remember his date's name and she said it rhymed with a female body part. Oh. And he was trying (laughs) to guess. He said, Melva. So that's just a letter off.
0: Oh, just a little bit. Yeah and but we appreciate you sweetheart so much um for your support i just like i'm now that's kind of it's like the middle of january i'm starting to get amped up with all the shows coming up so starting to get very exciting and
2: they're coming we've got back-to-back shows in april we got the one in louisville and the one in uh ohio middleton ohio Uh and It's been forever since we've done shows and back-to-back weekends.
0: Right, right. So we're really excited, looking forward to that, because we miss you guys. We love seeing you all.
2: Absolutely. So, all right. We put it off long enough.
0: Miss Elaine.
2: Let's listen to Laney Hobbs. Hey, guys, I know I say this every single time I have an interview, but I am really excited for this one because I've got the one and only Lainey Hobbs you have heard her obviously on the Crimes of Passion which is a Spotify original pretty cool it's haunted what now that's uh kind of the the newer baby of the deal in the paranormal side but Laney made a name for herself on the true crime side of things she really jumped in there when uh true crime was really starting to take off with true crime fan club which she just recently changed the name to true crime cases with Laney. Laney, I don't know what else to say. Welcome aboard.
1: <laughs> yeah, also the co-founder of the True Crime and Paranormal Podcast Festival, which launched in 2018. So yes, I for, I
2: forgot about that because that's something I meant to bring up a little later in the episode. So yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, and I that says that. a lot. That says a lot. <laughs> it is very hard to do a, a a conference of any kind, and to be a and most people I've seen I've had dealings with people that they set up the first one and then the first one never actually even happened you know it just it was I, that I, hard
1: yes i know so. which exact i know which one <laughs> you're talking about so <laughs> pro- not pro- surprised you, pro- <laughs> you probably do <laughs> um <I> do.
2: <laughs> so anyways let's let's jump in here from the beginning because i i want to save it's haunted towards the end sure because i i told you the other day uh personally i love the way you've set that show up Mm-hmm. but crimes of passion just ended. Yes. Uh, the last episodes, tell me a little bit about how you got that opportunity and for people wanting to go back and listen to the three years that's up there, uh, what they're yeah. going to hear.
1: Well, I got the opportunity. Um, if you listen to true crime podcast or any podcast, really, you hear feed drops pretty often. Now they're pretty regular, right? Yeah. You'll have bigger podcast companies buy, um, ad space to be able to say, "Hey, drop this new season of whatever we're you know we're promoting." Um, Wondery does a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, Parcast at the time before it was spot- bought by Spotify, they were doing the same thing. They were purchasing ad space on different podcasts to launch new seasons of, you know, whatever shows or mention new shows. And so, I would worked with them quite a lot over the years. Um, before joining, um, on the other side of being a host and. I really just was like, you know, one day I told them, I was like, my dream literally is to like host one of your shows. I think it would be so much fun. It would be like a great way to step outside of my comfort zone. I had no idea about voice acting at the time, but I was like, oh, that would be so much fun, like just to host it. And they approached me one day and said, hey, we actually have this show coming up and we think you would be great for it. Are you interested? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, literally, whatever. I'll do it. (laughs) And that's how it happened. And so... Um, I started that like three years ago, and it's basically, I liken it to the lifetime movie version of a podcast. So you're going to hear the, you know, the details in terms of like the interpersonal relationships that happen with these crimes. So it's not just me telling you like, oh, this person was born on this day. That person was born on this day. They met and they fell in love and now they hate each other and one of them killed them or they joined forces together and killed another person. Um, <laughs> it's a lot more intricate than that. It, it truly is telling a story about how these, you know, psychology pieces fit together to create kind of this atmosphere where crime of passion takes place. Um, and so the last two episodes of the series um, are on Lacey and Scott Peterson, which we just got an announcement very recently that Scott Peterson's um, request for an appeal has been denied. And so, yeah, that was um, quite interesting, a, a, you know, kind of a great way to end the season or the series really. So that was um a great opportunity it opened a lot of doors for me and um you know i i appreciate the whole team behind the scenes on that
2: yeah we uh podcast even before they their uh their buyout from spotify they mm-hmm. always had a great group of podcasts so yeah mm-hmm. that was uh you know, I, I remember when we got our first chance to actually do some advertising for them, and then they did some for us. I mean, I can remember listening to the host and saying that is so cool to listen yeah. to this host talk about our show when right. you know we listen to that it's show. Pretty so cool. yeah, it is really cool. All right, so let's let's jump into the big daddy for you. Yeah. True Crime Cases with Lanny. Like I said, that started off with uh, tr- as True, true crime, crime Fan Club. Fan Club. Mm-hmm. But tell me why you just recently, and I understand, but I want about <laughs> else to hear. Tell me yeah. why you just recently changed the name of a very popular show that's had that name for years and years.
1: Yeah. So I started True Crime Fan Club in 2016. And at the time, you know, there wasn't a conversation around ethics in true crime. And there wasn't a conversation about um the entertainment aspect of true crime like truly it was full of salacious material like the majority of the podcasts that started in the beginning you know weren't navigating this space respectfully the same way that they are now right everybody as they learned grow and change the way they approach these things so i had i had given no thought whatsoever to the name truly i was like i'm a fan I want to be the president of the fan club of true crime. And so I thought I thought it was like, I I was thinking about it more from like a fraternity sorority type of situation. Like I'm the president of the fan club of true crime. And so I'm the, you know, the authority on sharing these cases with you. That's really what the thought was behind it. But then as the like landscape changed, I was kind of, you know, I would see comments on like these true crime podcast groups that would be like, oh, you know, somebody would recommend my show and they'd go fan club, like, really? Like, that's a that's a weird name or that, like, that's that's not um, what, I forgot what how some person phrased it, but it was like, ooh, yeah, you know, like, I never thought about it like that, but I could see if you don't know me and you don't know my intentions, how you could think it was something that I'm just, like, glorifying serial killers or I'm glorifying, right. you know, the crimes that happened. And so it was really at the most recent true crime podcast festival that happened in Dallas this year. And I got to meet, you know, survivors of crimes and family advocates of these crimes. And it changed for me because I had never really had any interaction with any survivor of crime or any um, advocate whatsoever. I always kept myself like at a distance from that. Cause I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like Sarah Turney, who is a, a survivor and also a family advocate And doing all of these good things and, you know, working with these families. Like, I'm not that person who's doing that. And so I just didn't feel that if I were to approach them or try to interact with them, that it would be genuine because I was like, yeah, I don't do that in my show. And so I don't, I don't see the point in like reaching out to you or saying, you know, hey, um, you know, I, you know, I admire you or whatever. And then I go, by the way, I host this show called True Crime Fan Club and like, okay, that's a little, (laughs) that's a little weird. So (laughs) it was after meeting them specifically Mariah Day, um, whose mother is Betsy Faria. She was murdered by Pam Hupp. So you may know the Hulu series, right, that came out or Peacock series. I can't remember which one it was, but called The Thing About Pam. Um, And then, of course, Maura Murray's sister, Julie Murray, who was there. It was quite interesting to meet them. And, yeah, I was like, I didn't I had a table for my podcast, but I was like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. Like, it's so I was just literally cringing at people taking my podcast stickers and taking this and I'm just like that's just not really what I what I'm about anymore like listen to the cases listen to the podcast but uh, just call it TCFC you know like forget true crime band club Um, and so I ultimately decided that I wanted to change the name I'd actually been thinking about it for at least the last year and a half but I never pulled the trigger because you know, I was like, this show is successful. I've had this since 2016. Is it, are people going to know, like, you know, what's going to happen? Are people going to stop listening to me and going like, well, okay, what's, what is this? Whatever. Um, but then after the festival, I was like, I don't really care. Like, I'm just going to do it because I, I make the show truly for myself. Like I create a show that I want to listen to. So I'm really doing it for me. And that's what I did. I finally decided to change it within 24 hours. My husband, who's my IT. I was like, I need you to redirect all my stuff to true crime podcast.com or whatever. And uploaded, had my friend who did my original logo work. You know, I was like, pull me something together for true crime cases. This is what I'm doing. Um, I talked to a bunch of friends, fellow podcasters, and was just like, here's this. And they're like, Oh my God, thank God you're doing this. Like it's, it's time. And it's such a good move and it's smart. Um, and so I was like, OK, so I felt really great about doing it. And I felt like such a release. And I didn't even care if people were like, if they didn't like the name, if they were like, I don't want to listen to it, because then the content of my podcast ever mattered. Like if you're around just because it's called True Crime Fan Club, well done. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> see you later. You know, it doesn't matter to me. So um, it was really empowering and it was really freeing. And now I feel like proud of my show. I feel you know, that I want to promote it more before. I never did. I never really, um, I always like my show to like speak for itself. And so I'm the most um, anti-promoter of like my self-promotions. Like if you're like, oh my God, Lainey, you host this show. It's great. I'm like, oh my God, please stop talking about it. You know, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, But like secretly, obviously I want it to be successful. It is on its own merits. And I take pride in that because you know, people are listening to it. They're sharing it by word of mouth. And it's not really anything that I'm doing from a perspective of like selling ads or going on other shows. Like, I think I create genuine relationships within the community. And so that helps me um, have people who are like fellow podcasters recommend my show and go, I know Lainey, I think she's great. I like her show, so listen to it. Um, And so that's really helped creating these kind of organic relationships With podcasters that have a way bigger platform than me, and not for the you know not for the cloud or anything that it brings with it, but just truly because I like them as individuals, they like me, and that's it. So you know, I I I um I was very happy to make that change, and it only has been positive. Yeah, so I
2: can't imagine you've gotten any negative feedback from it. I have not. it's, It's 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 a name, and most people are probably uh you know going to say hey i can completely understand this and this makes sense yeah and, you know and and i bet there wouldn't a whole lot of people that had an an, an issue with the original name but it no. but it is yeah it was when you when you dissect it mm-hmm. that's when you start saying oh this is kind of a weird thing to say yeah you know, we we had a situation where we we don't cover true crime very often if we do it's usually a hundred years old Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't have to worry about anything, but we did a We did the Zach and Addie case out of uh, mm. New Orleans, New Orleans. And, and kind of at the very end, you know, we told about the case that uh, Zach and Addie's friend, who was a big part of the documentary, then got involved in her own little situation with mm. her and her boyfriend actually abducted uh, a, a young lady who was a dancer and ended up dismembering her. Oh, my yeah. gosh.
1: I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, they ended up dismembering her, and um, this was a mother of like three kids, and we didn't think anything of it when we covered it, but the young lady that was abducted and dismembered and thrown into the river, her brother was a listener to our show, and we had no clue, and he was very, very upset that we covered that story again, because him and his mom were constantly being barraged a uh, barrage, I should say with television shows or podcasts mm. that were covering the story always bringing up this this bad yeah, thing like, that, uh, that happened yeah, yeah. and yeah. and I had you know I apologized to him I had never thought about the fact that somebody from that story could be a you know in real life could be affected by us covering it and we didn't cover it in a negative it was almost it was like just a very end, you know, a, a three minute deal at the very end of the episode to say, oh, here's something else that happened after the fact. Right. And, and it affected somebody that listened to us. And I I vowed from that point on to not really cover any kind of true Trump stuff, unless it was 30, 40 years old, at least to not have that happen. So it's, yeah, it's, I have...
1: it's. No, I agree. I'm sorry. Um, I, I learned that, right. Because there's also that conversation on the other side of like the paranormal right of kind of these ethics and the stories that you're sharing right because ultimately if, in order for people to become ghosts and the ghost stories you want to hear end up typically happening because a tragedy has occurred right um it's it's something like traumatic within the energy field that has happened and that's why it keeps reoccurring and why it keeps happening and why these places are haunted right um i don't know if you know brandon from southern gothic but mm-hmm. um, I got to, you know, have a conversation with him about it, too. And I was like, he goes, yeah, I don't cover anything that's like post-World War II because people could still be alive and all this stuff. He's like, so I cover everything like pre that. And I think that's so responsible and so nice because it's true. Like, you don't think I mean, you don't think about it like that from a you know a paranormal perspective. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm telling the ghost story of like the LaLaurie mansion or whatever. And, it you know, you think. You don't think anything of it. Um, but if that happened, you know, 10 years ago and you're like, oh, this place is haunted, you would kind of cringe a little bit and be like, OK, you know, like it, it time really does need to, a lot of time needs to pass, I think, um, when those types of things happen. So it's really interesting, um, you know, that you got that feedback and you don't really know. I mean, I think the response is great. The, the type of response that you had versus being kind of indignant and being like, well, sorry, dude, it's public record, which is what I see sometimes um, when, you know, victims or even family advocates step forward and say, Hey, I would, re- I would appreciate it. Like if you take this part down or if you revise this, because what you're sharing isn't accurate and it's also like harmful to our family, it's re-traumatizing us. And there's creators out there who will be like, truly I've seen it. And it's, disgusting. Um he'll be like, it's public record. Like, you can't tell me that I can't talk about this. And it's we're not saying don't talk about it. We're saying listen to the person who's asking you, you know, to change something respectfully and go, Yeah, you know, if it was your family member or if it was you, you you'd want your family listened to and respected in that way. So I think it's really nice and admirable that you had um a good and strong reaction to something like that because other people don't they think that they have ownership over this this content and truly like what creators of true crime need to understand and realize is that without these families and without these unfortunate victims they wouldn't have a platform you know so they really should take that into account and take stock of that and 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 really determine why they're doing what they're doing like so often people are joining in true crime podcasting, you know, with their bestie and, you know, drinking and having fun and talking about these things and making jokes, not about, hopefully, well, some of them are, um, but at the expense of victims, you know, and they're doing it because they want to be the next best thing. They want to be, you know, the Ashley Flowers of true crime, you know, they want to be like the princesses It's apparently she's the queen of true crime. I saw an article recently <laughs> that called her that. Um, you know, they want to be like the princesses and princes of true crime, I guess. Um, and I'm just like, you know, you're, you're not in it truly, I think for genuine reasons, like I'm sharing these cases because I'm, you know, interested in the psychology piece of it. I like to know why people do what they do, but I also think it brings some awareness and it makes you go, you know, I'm a, I'm a highly paranoid and anxious person, (laughs) which is, I don't understand why I do true crime. Um, but it helps me kind of see situations differently, whereas like I'm not oblivious to my surroundings. I realize that like just going to Target, I could be abducted because there was a case like that where this young lady was literally running an errand to go to Target to get like supplies for a birthday party. And she was literally abducted in the middle of the day, taken and murdered, you know, and so it's, it's those kinds of cases that you're like. That's an everyday thing. And I hope that the person listening is aware of their surroundings, you know, and makes better choices. Um, Not that she could have done anything differently, but, you know, that somebody can be aware and say, hey, I'm seeing that all over TikTok now where they feel like they're being followed in a store. And so they start filming this person and calling them out, which is so great and so powerful because now they're taking kind of back the control of, of the fear that could, you know, haunt somebody for that. So I don't know. I think it's great. (laughs) Sorry,
2: I completely I agree you. with <laughs> I, no, I completely agree with that the bringing um, uh, you know, just bringing awareness. the awareness that that is huge. And I also have a lot of respect. i, I i'm I'm with you and, and I'm the same way on the paranormal side. I don't like I don't like for victims to be a form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, i I don't like I don't like the true crime shows that uh, that basically laugh and joke. About yeah. what happened. Now that's one thing to be telling the story and then you stop it and you're laughing and joking about something else. But when you laughing and joking and making criticism of the victim or something like that, I, that is to me, yeah, the biggest no-no out there. I can't, <laughs> yes, I can't I stand it. But I, I also I love don't the...
1: like true crime comedy. That's just me.
2: <laughs> right. And I, I do, lo- I do love the true crime um, creators that are trying to make a difference. You mentioned Sarah Turney. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, Shane Waters has done wonders with, with uh the the redheaded murders. I mean, he's helped on mm-hmm. un- you know, his show has helped identify so many women that have been unidentified since the 70s.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh I know Justin Rimble were good friends with Justin. He's gotten involved with a case in West Virginia. Uh that you know, I I I love to see people using the platform to make a difference. You know, that's yes. what it's all yes. about.
1: Uh, now talking about creators who do really great things, right? um even me i'm inspired by newer creators right who are who are kind of taking on this like advocacy role which is which is such a shift from when i first started in true crime because nobody was really doing that like you had marissa from the vanish she was covering um you know unsolved cases missing persons cases and working with families and that was kind of like the only example i had of somebody like working with families in that capacity mm-hmm. and i was like that's not for me like i wouldn't know what to do. I'm a nervous interviewer and I wouldn't know how to piece a story together like that. I I just am not talented in that way. But seeing now these new creators, like I think of Colt's Crime and Cabernet, right? You wouldn't by the name of it, you wouldn't think that this is a serious show. Um you, you know, you're kind of probably expecting it to be fun and lighthearted and just kind of be like very surface level type of true crime for people, because there are people out there who Are interested in true crime want to consume it but they can't handle all of the like the the heaviness that comes with it they want like the lighter side of true crime which there is you know you can you can cover it um Mm -hmm. very surface level without getting too deep into it and so when i first heard of them i that's kind of what i thought um but they were actually very instrumental in helping find brandon lawson's um remains and additional evidence that pointed to where he was. And Brandon Lawson, if you're from Texas, is a huge, and even in true crime, is a huge case that um, was super mysterious. People were very like, um, it was one of those whodunit cases where you're just like, what the heck happened with this guy? You know, he's on the phone, he's running, what's going on? And, you know, you have this 911 call, and it's just living in like the annals of true crime history. And so, they do boots on the ground advocacy. They truly travel, like, I think once a quarter and they go to help families search for their missing loved ones. And they do a different case, like, I think alphabetically or whatever. And I think that is so cool. I'm like, that's amazing that, you know, they're not, I'm, well, I don't know, but it. I don't think that they're um, extremely profitable on their podcast, right? Like, it's really hard to be a very successful true crime podcast now because the market is so saturated with true crime. Um, that you really truly have to stand out. So um, I don't think that they're like at that level yet. I think they will be for sure, because they're very talented and very uh, passionate about what they do. But I think that is so cool. I was like, man, I wish I could do that. And now I like am invigorated. I want to do something like that with them. You know, I want to be like, can I go with you next time you do something like that? Because I think that is so important, like an important way to spend your time. Like, why not? Um, and you get to hang out with your friends. and then. You have Eric Carter Landine of True Consequences, whose little brother was murdered, you know, and he used that crime to kind of burn his advocacy and say, like, I want to help other families in um, New Mexico try and find justice, too, like the way his brother, unfortunately, hasn't yet found justice. But he's trying to do that for other families, and he knows what it's like to do that. And so I'm just so like... I am in all of these creators who are so new to this space and truly wanting to make a difference in it that I think it's putting, um, like, other creators on notice. I made a TikTok about that recently. I was just like, you guys have no idea how big this landscape is changing. And it's changing away from, like, these gratuitous details. Like, you have shows out there that will share every single detail of how a person was murdered and it's truly just gratuitous there's no point to it it doesn't serve any purpose in the story or case you know that you're sharing um and then you have others who are who are taking a step back and saying like i could share this detail but why why would i need to what does it progress the case forward is it really important because you know it was especially heinous or something like you want to make the impact of what happened you know more serious. I don't know. You have to really kind of go through, or at least I hope you do go through those questions that we do on our side for true crime um, cases is as we ask, does this need to be shared? Who is it benefiting? Who is it helping? Um, And if it doesn't, then it doesn't go into you know the script and it doesn't make it into the podcast. So I love that these new creators are doing that. I love seeing even veteran creators changing kind of around like me, right? Um, changing things around and and pushing more for advocacy and ethics and true crime. I think it's wonderful, and I hope to see more of it.
2: You know, obviously, Serial kind of kicked all that off with them trying to to help exonerate somebody, but I I think the true credit on what we're seeing a lot today probably goes to Payne, Lindsay, like when you mentioned Up and Vanished, because I think once people saw, hey.
1: Oh, no, not Up and Vanished, The Vanished.
2: That's awful. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but with, with, with but pain, you know yeah. he with pain he was he was able to you know help get a a a missing case solved uh and and people convicted and I think people when they saw that, it was like, oh man,
1: yeah. you know this, well, this is this is something
2: we can make a difference on,
1: yes, so he, I think Payne Lindsay is a really great example of getting it wrong, but fixing it and doing it right so With Up and Vanished in the Tara Grinstead case, he was really irresponsible in the beginning with his reporting and naming potential, you know, suspects of people he just figured were like, oh, this guy is this. And so, you know, I don't think he understood the impact his platform had at the time. So he probably really wasn't thinking about the impact this had on a probably innocent person's life to go and say. I'm plucking this person out of obscurity because I I saw like in some investigative report that they had an interaction with Tara one day. And he sounds suspicious because look at his criminal background history and named, you know, multiple people as suspects and was completely off track throughout the entire season of Up and Banish at multiple seasons of Up and Banish. Um, and then attempted to take credit for solving Tara's case. Right. And it was never something he. Outwardly said he is never like, Yeah, I solved this case, but he didn't correct the record. People would say Payne is responsible for, you know, Tara Grinstead's case getting, um, getting moved forward in the court system. He's responsible for Tara's case getting publicity. Um, but he did not help or aid in the investigation in any of the stuff that he did in the podcast. But since then, right, since all of that, like hubbub around that, he has done a complete 180. And he is way more responsible in his reporting. He is, I think, taking accountability for the way he handled Up and Vanished in the beginning and has made strides to change that moving forward. And I think that that's admirable because in the beginning, I did not like him
0: <laughs> for mm-hmm. that
1: because I was like, you're just taking credit and you didn't do anything. Like you, you named all these, you named like Joe Schmo down the street and he had nothing to do with it just because he was like an ex-officer or something like that. Um, You know, it ends up being like a, a former student of hers, you know, and his accomplice or his, you know, friend from high school. So I think that it's, I think he's a really great example of, of getting lost in the publicity and getting lost in the notion of fame as it can happen in true crime, right? As a creator, you can get plucked out of obscurity and go, oh, you're the foremost authority on this. And so now we're going to like throw you into the spotlight and you're going to get all of these like accolades you're going to get all of these credits to your to your name and he took that basked in it for a while right like any I think anybody would but then turned it around when he quickly became the bad guy in podcasting for making the comment of like I'm not a podcaster you know at podcast movement I think he got on stage and was like I'm not a podcaster and everybody's like but you you're not a filmmaker because you haven't made any films. So, Because he's like, I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> and I was like, well, you haven't made any films. So what What are you talking about? Um, and you got your success through podcasting, right? So after that, I think he made a significant change that rehabbed his image in true crime. And now he's done, I think, a way better job of approaching his cases responsibly, approaching his reporting responsibly, and, um, you know, I think that that's a really great example of somebody who can get it wrong and then turn it around once they know better, you know, nice. so there's always a redemption. I think nobody deserves to be canceled infinitely unless you're a certain podcast host in true crime that nobody likes, um, and who is vile as a human being, um, I know exactly who and there's, know. and there's no redeeming qualities whatsoever. Um, you know, one time he, he had a dunk and that was like the only redeeming quality ever. You were like, okay, you're not that bad. But then, you know, I would be like, where were you on January 6th? <laughs> given him, <laughs> given his uh, his proclivities. But, um, you know, like I, I think there's a responsibility that um, bigger creators have to kind of lead the way because they have the biggest platform and making sure there's just shift. And so I'm starting to see more of that again. I appreciate that. And, you know, I didn't mean to get on a soapbox about pain, but I like to correct the record because I don't want, you know, I don't want anybody to walk around thinking he did this really great thing because he didn't, you know, he covered a case.
2: I think, I think my point more was not what a great job he did, but it was the fact that he brought the attention to a case Yes, that I don't know if it would have been solved. If the attention hadn't been brought to it, because it right. was kind of a cold case, they were done. But that that did that did hold, showed everybody else in the podcast uh, market that you know, hey, we can actually make a difference mm-hmm. if we if we start focusing on a case and bring attention to it. So that's more right. of the aspect I was yes. looking at.
1: No, I agree a hundred percent with that. That like kicking up some dirt and saying like, hey, and gathering kind of this true crime army of people. Um, We've seen it with like the Adnan Syed case, like you mentioned in serial when Rabia moved over and did um, undisclosed and started kind of showing everything that was going on behind the case. And even in that whole podcast series where they focus on, um, you know, innocent level type projects um, or the innocent project type cases, um, you see how much of a difference these cases, you know, have made um, just by getting publicity around them. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that that continues because I think people, especially as it comes to unnamed persons, we saw what the golden state killer solved because of genetic genealogy. Like that's amazing. I wish we could do that for the Zodiac, you know, but (laughs) who knows, who knows?
2: All right. (laughs) So I I saved this for last. Okay. What made you start a paranormal podcast?
1: (sighs) Oh, Well, if you know me, I start like 40 podcasts regularly. I'm I'm launching a new one next year because um, <laughs> I'm crazy. And um, I don't know. I just, I've always, I wanted to do a paranormal show for the longest time. Um, I love, love, love the paranormal. I'm Mexican. So I have a bunch of you know, Mexican folklore under my belt and my family share stories about things like that. I'm and I love to be scared and I am obsessed with your wall behind you because I love the Exorcist. It's one of my favorite movies. Here. Um, I just love it. You know, like I love being scared. It's one of the last like really good horror movies, um, that was done well and made you like, whoo, like I remember when I first saw it, I was like, never the same again. It was amazing. Um, but It was, it was really kind of just that I was like, I want to share stories. I want to get into, you know, the paranormal and I want other people to tell me their stories because again, I like being scared and there's nothing more I love than reading other people's ghost stories. Like I grew up in Texas and my mom would let me pick, um, you know, where we wanted to go for our road trips because we were poor. So it was like, we're going to road trip around Texas for our vacation this year. And so she would pick a, you know, a weekend and go, okay, where do you want to go? And I'd pull out like my hands Holzer book and look for Texas ones, you know, that, uh Texas cases. And so I was like, oh, let's go to San Antonio because the Majestic Theater's haunted. And I remember like standing outside of the Majestic Theater, like looking in the window and going, Okay, little like in my head, like psychically talking to the little ghost boy and being like, Okay, you can come to the window. I want to see you. It's okay. You can do it. And my mom's just like, oh my God, this freaking kid. <laughs> like, what the hell is she doing? Um, so it was really that. Like I just love reading other people's stories. And um It's it's like one of my favorite things to do. Even still now, I'll be like getting together. I'm like, oh, have you ever had like a paranormal experience? Um, recently, you know, I've I've read, I recorded my my booth. You can't see it because I have my green screen, but um, I recorded my booth right, and I usually record in the dark when I'm reading because I just use the light from my iPad and stuff like that, and I record in the dark, and I have a door that is a glass door for my booth and stuff. And I get so paranoid reading these stories because I'm just like so into it when I'm reading it. And I'm like, I didn't see that in the corner of my eye. And I'm like getting more and more terrified (laughs) as I'm reading these stories. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you can probably hear it through my voice because I'm like, and then this happened. I'm like, don't look. And then all my all my bloopers and cuts in um, my raw audio is pretty funny because I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so scared right now. But I love it. So I just did it because I wanted to talk about haunted objects and I wanted to talk um, or really to read about stories. I had no clear direction on like, did I want to read stories and then make, you know, some commentary on them? Or did I just want to like do my own research and share these folklores and things? And that's just not really my vibe. I just want to hear other people's things. Like I want people to trust me with their stories and reenact them and share them and offer like spooky vibes in terms of like the music that's playing behind them and really like transport the listener there and be like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like this is freaking me out. You know, that's what I hope. I hope people are scared listening to my show.
2: (laughs) Well, as I told you the other day, for people who haven't listened to this, it's very well produced. I love the fact that, that you, you read the listener's story and there's a lot of shows out there that do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, including, you know, our eerie encounters. That's what we do. We basically read with some music behind it. But you then go ahead and have commentary on the story afterwards. And it's a very well-scripted commentary. It doesn't come across like a conversation piece where you just say, well, well, here's what I think. I mean, you Mm -hmm. do that. It's more, hey, here's what I think. But Mm -hmm. it's just so well done that it blends in with the story perfect. Everything is so even keel. Yeah, you know, because I've I've seen before where people will read the story and it's dramatic, and then they give their opinion, and then it's a whole different vibe, you know. Yeah, it doesn't and, stick and, but, with it. Yeah, but yours isn't like that. Yours is a complete, the same vibe from beginning to end. The music is perfect. It's not too loud. It's just, it's it it fits the mood. So no, I really enjoy that. And like I said, I, I listen you. to a lot of shows like that. Everything from real ghost stories online to let's read to to yeah. uh, uh, let's not meet. And all those shows, but yours is definitely sets apart from those because one, you've got an awesome voice, not that other people don't, but your voice (laughs) is so soothing to listen to these stories and the mood that you post with it is just perfect. So I just, that's what really wanted me to get you on. I'm a fan. So I wanted to get you on the show because I love the show.
1: Thank you. Makes me very uncomfortable, but I appreciate it. I don't accept compliments (laughs) well at all. Um, But no, that's my I mean, like, that makes me so happy because the team behind the scenes who help support the shows on both sides, um, they have basically the same team that helps on true crime cases and it's haunted what now. And they know me. Right. They know what I'm after. They know when I create, you know, get these stories together and, you know, the writers look at this and go, "Okay, Lainey would say this. And it's not fully scripted in the sense that they're like, Lainey, say this word for word. It, they give me prompts, right? So it's like, oh yeah, like that's something I would say because um, in the beginning, I didn't have that. I would give myself little prompts and say like, what would, you know, what's your initial thing? Or like, what's the vibe for this and stuff like that. And I was just like, uh, getting, getting really overwhelmed and lost in that. And so the two writers that we have, Meg and Sherilyn, who help on It's Haunted What Now, really do a great job of somehow getting into my head, giving me these awesome prompts that help me give, you know, feedback on the story or often commentary. And sometimes, you know, it's it's more so trying to help the listener because sometimes they will be like, I don't know if anybody else has heard anything about this, or I don't know if this has happened to anybody else before. And so I'll try and think of either a previous, you know, story that's been shared or um an example I've seen and even stuff in my own experience that I could pull from. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun to make that show. And um, the the music is probably one of my favorite things because I, that's always the most important to me is like, I, I don't know how Nico, who's our audio engineer for it, I don't know how he makes anything with the feedback that I give him because I'm like, I really want it kind of creepy and I want it like, ooh, da, da, you know, and he's just like, <laughs> OK, <laughs> and
0: he manages to get it.
1: Um, And I love, I love our intro music. I love our transition music um, because I was really thinking like haunted doll. So I wanted something that like sounds like a toy box or something. And it's just like building and escalating in the like, kind of like, you know, like psychological thrillers are probably my favorite types of movies, right? Because the anticipation is building in yourself. Like you don't know what it is. It's the music that's being played. You feel the tension rising in the, you know, in the scene, but there's no jump scares, like no cheap jump scares that are just like out to get you. Right. And I also love a good jump scare too, but that's kind of what I'm after. Like I'm after that buildup and then that anticipation when you're hearing a story and you're like, Oh my gosh, what's going to freaking happen next. Um, and we have some fun things planned for for that show in terms of doing um other ca- or other um episodes i forgot what we call them i think haunted bites is what we're going to call them um but that are that are a little bit outside of the norm of what we do kind of as bonus content like once a month or something we'll do something extra where we focus on um, you know a particular theme if you will so it hasn't been fleshed out all the way, but, um, I have a lot of fun content prepared for 2023, which is a lot of fun. It's given me a lot of time to like reflect on how I want to be as a creator and really just having fun with my shows, um, has, has helped a lot in terms of, you know, the approach to it and feeling more relaxed and not as anxious with, is it going to do well? Is it going to do this? You know, I'm just having fun. I'm having a good time.
2: Laney speaking of which, I have had an absolute awesome time with you today. I'm so glad that uh, you were able to make the time to do this. Yes. Tell everybody exactly. how they can keep tell everybody how they can keep up with all things Laney Hobbs.
1: Oh man. So, I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I would say you can follow me on true crime cases or you can just follow me Laney. What is my Twitter? Oh my gosh. Laney underscore VO or Laney Hobbs VO. (laughs) No, I'm Laney under. Let me just look because I just typically do a (laughs) link tree or something. Okay. So Laney underscore VO is where you can follow me on Twitter. You can also look on Instagram um, or on Facebook for true crime cases with Laney or it's haunted what now or Laney Hobbs VO wherever you'd like to. Um, Typically, if you find me one place, I have a link tree so you can look everywhere else for me if you'd like to.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Lainey. It's been a a blast. And we'll have to get you on our Halloween special this coming year.
1: Yeah, that'll be so much fun. I did one recently. It was a blast.
2: So Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, guys, that wraps it up for this week. We appreciate you and we love you guys.
0: Yeah, you all have a wonderful, blessed week. And we look forward to talking with you guys next week. Love y'all.